Good morning, everybody. Thank you for that. That was awesome. Excellent. Let's try it again. Good morning, everybody. All right. I see you. Uh, it is good to, to see everybody here and hear everybody. I uh, hope you're all doing well. For those who haven't met me, my name is Rob. I am the, the lead pastor here at Citizens Church. And if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 is where we will be this morning. Look at a couple other places, but that's primarily where we will camp out. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> now, Martin Luther, the leader of the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, found great comfort in and inspiration from his children. One night he was disturbed and depressed by his enemies, and he noticed little Martin nursing in his mother's arms and remarked, Child, your enemies are the Pope, the bishops, Duke George, Ferdinand, and the devil. And there you are, unconcerned. On another occasion, Luther came upon Anastasia, his four-year-old daughter, prattling away about Christ, angels, and heaven, whereupon the noted churchman said, My dear child, if only one could hold fast to this faith, Quickly she replied, why, Papa, don't you believe it? He was shocked and later wrote, Christ has made the children our teachers. Sees his son with all the enemies in the world that he has because of who his father is, unconcerned, not realizing all the dangers that befall him. Sees his daughter talking about this great faith. He says, if only people could hold on to that. She says, what do you mean? Don't you hold on to it? He said, man, there's much to learn from children. And so today's passage, as Lauren just read, makes a, a compelling argument that there is, in fact, much to learn from children, which builds a little bit of a tension because other portions of Scripture seem to paint children in a negative light. So we see in this passage a positive light, and then we have to counterbalance that with some of the, the negative light, negative passages that describe children as well. So I think of 1 Corinthians 13, 11. It says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. 1 Corinthians 14, just the very next chapter, says, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. And then Hebrews 5, we read, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. So we see in this passage, be like the children. See in other passages, don't be childish. So immediately, right when we start off, we have to give the caveat that although this passage puts forth for us things to recognize in children, things to accommodate, we're not saying go forward and just be like children. Okay? So there needs to be that caveat. There's a balancing act that is required because the passage is not advocating for us to be like children in every way. There's a specific way, which is what we will see in this passage. Namely, that because the kingdom of God belongs to children, as we read, we must receive the kingdom the way that a child does. So because the kingdom of God belongs to children, we must receive the kingdom 
the way that a child does. That is the way that Christ is advocating for us to be childlike. So, as you have flipped to Mark 10, you'll notice that we are returning back to Mark. Last week, Jonathan preached out of 1 Peter, and it might seem like a little bit of a a whiplash jolting effect because next week, Lord willing, Ben will be preaching out of Daniel. So, Mark, 1 Peter, Mark, Daniel, why the jumping around? What we're trying to do is, is give those who are speaking the opportunity to either continue on in what we're teaching on, so Mark, which is what we've been going through, or if they want to start a new series, take a deep dive into a particular book, then they can lead the congregation in that. So if you ever see Jonathan preaching again, it'll either be out of 1 Peter or be out of Mark. When Ben preaches, it'll either be out of Daniel or out of Mark. So that way, a couple things. That way we get a little bit of a break from the book of Mark. Don't get me wrong. The book of Mark's great. I love it. But it'll be nice for us to look at other portions of Scripture rather than having to wait a year or a year and a half before we look at another book. And additionally, it gives those speakers the opportunity to really dive deep into that particular book. So, all that to say, our primary text is going to be Mark, but as others speak, you may see us jump to other books, but even those will be consistent with the speaker. So, Mark, as we see here, as a reminder, is written by a man by the name of John Mark. So sometimes in scripture he's referred to as John, other times he's referred to as Mark, other times John Mark. So this is written by John Mark. It's written in the 50s or 60s AD and is written to primarily Gentile converts in Rome. So the, the big power force of the day, there are a lot of converts. And so Mark, John Mark, feels the need to write to them, to remind them of what the gospel is. And the consistent theme that we keep seeing throughout it is God restoring his wayward people. And so today, as we look at the text, we see children being held up as a model, as an example. We already made the caveat that we don't want to be childish in every way, but there is something to be noted with children in this passage. In fact, I'd say there are three things, and you'll see those three things in your bulletin. So what does it look like when children receive the kingdom of God? We see that they bring others, they depend on others, and they receive from others. They bring others, depend on others, and receive from others. Now those are the three points. And usually I just dive right in to the first point after praying. Tend to be a creature of habit. I'm breaking that a little bit today. So before we get into those three points, we're going to look at what the text does not teach. Okay? So typically we try to do what's called positive teaching. What does it teach? Here we're going to start off some negative teaching. What does it not teach? It doesn't mean positive, negative in terms of your attitude or anything like that, but it's the form of teaching. So we're going to start off by saying what the passage does not teach. But before we do, let me pray. Then we'll get going. Father, Thank you again for the gift to gather. It's such a joy to sing songs to you, to praise your name. Lord, we have over 10,000 reasons to lift you up. And God, we ask that a few of those would be made very clear in the passage today. 
We pray that we would see the gospel more clearly. Pray that other churches in the area would proclaim the gospel and that as seeds are scattered, that there would be gospel fruit. Pray for Grace Fellowship Church right down the road, that they would see much fruit as they faithfully proclaim the gospel. Do the same for Grace Bible Church in Canal Winchester. And Lord, we give you praise for Sojourn Community Church in Louisville, a partner church with us. As a church plant, every partner church is so vital. Thank you for them. Please allow them to see gospel fruit as far as they continue to proclaim the gospel as they have faithfully done. Lord, we are grateful for fellow churches, for partner churches that lock arms with us in tangible ways and just in being fellow co-workers, co-laborers in the gospel. Lord, we pray for the staff here at Oakstone Academy. They have been so kind to open up their space to us. Lord, they have been so generous and so hospitable. Help us to be kind to others the way that they have been to us, to be generous, to be hospitable. Use your word to teach us much this morning. Show us areas where we do need to repent and show us areas where we need to continue to press on. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So, what does this passage not teach? I'd like to give a caveat that I did not think of these things on my own. Uh, Every now and then I try to, as I am studying, when I'm done studying, I try to listen to another sermon of somebody that I really admire and appreciate to make sure that I'm not way off the rails. Okay, so you can thank other pastors as well to make sure that I'm not crazy in what I'm preaching. And so this week at the end, I listened to uh, the way that Mark Dever preached this passage, and he gave six reasons, or six things that this passage does not teach. We don't have time for all six, and some of them I feel like could be condensed. So I'm going to give you three that I got from that that I think are very helpful. So the first thing is that this passage does not teach is that parents' actions save children. This passage does not teach that a parent's actions save children. We see the crowd bringing children. So likely a lot of parents bringing their children to Jesus. They have experienced his touch and they really want their children to experience it as well. And they're being good and faithful parents. They're bringing their kids to Christ as we should. For those who have children here, we have a responsibility to continue to bring them to the foot of the cross, to remind them of the gospel. But be encouraged this morning that just because you do that does not guarantee their salvation. Why is that an encouragement? Because some of you may have children who are not faithfully walking in the Lord, and you may feel like you have failed. Even if you bring them to Jesus, that does not guarantee their salvation. Deuteronomy 6, 7-9 says this, to families in regards to children. You shall teach them diligently, shall teach these statutes diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The writer there is, is encouraging parents that whether you're at home, whether you're walking on the way, whatever you're doing, whether you're sitting down, whether you're rising up, 
continue to teach the faith to your children. You have a responsibility to do that. However, you may do that as well as anyone on the face of the planet, and it still does not guarantee your children's salvation. So that's the first thing that the pastors does not teach, that parents' actions save children. They do not. The second thing, this is a little bit more brief, is that the pastors does not teach that children are saved simply for being children. Okay, there's no particular age limit that you have to be in order to be saved. So as we look at the passage, as we look through Scripture, we recognize that faith comes through hearing and hearing the words of Christ. Faith is a gift. Salvation is by faith alone through grace alone, not based off of your age. So this is the second thing that the passage does not teach. Salvation is not based off of age. And the third thing, and this is the one that you may hear more often, is that it does not teach infant baptism. So we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are faithful, who proclaim the gospel, who have embraced the same gospel that we've proclaimed, who would view this passage and say, there it is. Jesus says, bring the children to me. So why would we not give them the sign of being brought to Jesus? Baptism. In fact, John Calvin, who many of us in this congregation love, says to exclude from the grace of redemption, those who are of that age would be too cruel. And therefore it is not without reason that we employ this passage as a shield against the Anabaptists. So we as Baptists say once they make a credible profession of faith, then we give them the sign that they have been in fact regenerated and converted. There are those, John Calvin in that camp, who would say, no, we use this passage as a shield to guard against that teaching and we will give the sign of being a part of the covenant to infants even before they make a credible profession of faith. Now, look at me. I love John Calvin. I disagree with him here, okay? And that's okay. A lot of us in here like, like John Calvin. And I just want to put forward that you don't have to like John Calvin to be a member here, okay? There's, there's a term called reformed. You do not have to be reformed to be a member here at Citizens. So as you hear people quote John Calvin, we love him. But he's not infallible as we see right here. In fact, I think Charles Spurgeon gets it a little bit better. He says this about the passage. He says, in handling this text, in what I believe to be its true light, I shall commence, first of all, by observing that this text has not the shadow of the shade of the ghost of a connection with baptism. There is no line of connection so substantial as a spider's web between the incident and baptism. It says it does not have the shadow of the shade of the ghost of a connection with baptism. There's no connection so substantial as a spider's web here. I think he got it right. Love John Calvin, but I think Spurgeon got it right here. And so, as we look at those three things that the passage does not teach, one good takeaway for us is, yes, we need to take discipleship of children seriously. This passage makes that clear. However, let's not read too much into this text. Let's not read what isn't there into the text. So now with that caveat, what the passage does not teach, let's look at the three things that it does. So first, what do we learn from children? First thing that you'll see is that children bring others. Look with me in verse 13, the first part of that. It says, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. 
They were bringing children. Who is they? Well, they is the crowd that we've been reading about earlier. The crowd who believed Jesus, they knew Jesus, they trusted in the power of Jesus' touch, and this crowd believed in the things that Jesus was saying, and so they wanted to bring their loved ones to him as well. Now, because the crowd were believers, we recognize that they are considered children of God. And so the crowd, being children, are bringing children. We see in John 1.12 that, But to all who did receive him, all who did receive Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We are all created by God, but we are not all considered children of God. You are considered a child of God if you are in the one child, Christ. All who receives, all who received Christ, the, the Son of God, the child of God, they are then considered children of God. So it's popular to say that we're all children. It's not quite biblically accurate. We're all created. However, we are not all children of God the Father. And so we now see that who was the crowd bringing? Well, they were bringing children to him. So who are considered children? Well, in that day, children were considered from infancy to 12. So anywhere in between there. Could have been infants, could have been 12-year-olds. They didn't have a category um, of infant, child, preteen, teen, young adult. They had child and they had adult. So we see children here from infancy to 12 years old. Now this group, unlike our society today, where we value children, we cherish children, we love the idea of holding them close and nurturing them, that wasn't the case in ancient Jewish society. Today, tenderness toward children is seen as a virtue. Politicians will hold up a baby and, and give the baby a kiss, right, to try to win some votes, find somebody in the crowd to hold their baby. That, that's seen as a virtue, and we love that. It wasn't the case in ancient Jewish society. In fact, James Edwards puts it this way. He said, childhood was typically regarded as an unavoidable interim between birth and adulthood. An unavoidable interim between birth and adulthood, which a boy reached at age 13. One will search Jewish and early Christian literature in vain for sympathy toward the young, comparable to that shown by Jesus. We don't see sympathy towards children the way that Jesus shows sympathy towards children in early Jewish and Christian uh, literature. So, as the crowd is bringing children, we're recognizing that the crowd is bringing the least valuable in society. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Children were considered the least valuable because they could not give toward the ongoing life of the family. They just took. They weren't able to work. They weren't able to provide, but they just took. And so they weren't considered to be of high value. So what we see in the passage is children, those who have believed in Christ, who are now considered children of God, bringing physical children, bringing their loved ones to him. Now to be clear, bringing children, bringing others to Christ is a fruit of regeneration. It's not a requisite 
So when we say there are things here in the passage that we want to see, that we see being modeled by children, and we say that children bring others, we're not saying that that's required to be a Christian. I want to clarify. We're saying that it's a fruit of being a Christian. So now God's people, in summary, bring others, God's people, children, bring others to Jesus. And so we, as Christians, invite people to church. Many of you have done that. That's why this room is getting full. You're inviting others to the foot of the cross. We also just invite them to other events. So that could be going to a park, could be having coffee, could be playing disc golf, as so many of us in this room like to do. Just inviting others along to be around other Christians and then looking for those opportunities to share the gospel. doesn't mean that it's going to happen on that first interaction, but as we are with one another, as we become more comfortable with one another, it opens up more opportunities for conversations. What I'm not saying, again, is that you have to wait until a full relationship is built, because then some of us just end up never sharing the gospel. But by inviting them along, by spending time with others, It provides more opportunities to share the gospel. Greg Gilbert in his book, What is the Gospel? It's in the back there. It's a small black book. Super helpful. If you're intimidated when it comes to sharing the gospel or you're not quite sure how to share the gospel, he describes a fourfold way. He says there's four things. Whenever you share the gospel, just hit on these four things. However you navigate the conversation, if you hit these four things, then you'll, for the most part, have covered it. And it's God, man, Christ response. God, man, Christ response. Share with them who God is. He's perfect. He's perfectly holy. Share with them who man is. We've fallen. We're not perfectly holy. So there's a separation there. However, Christ, the God man, was perfectly holy. So now he was able to bridge that gap so that man could be reunited to God. And now what's your response? Will you embrace this or not yet? God, man, Christ response. If you're looking for opportunities or ways to share the gospel with a coworker, or with a friend or with a family member, God, man, Christ response. It's been the most helpful thing for me. Parents, you also have the opportunity to model this for your family. What does it look like for me to build relationships and show my daughters that I'm building relationships because I love people, but I also love them enough to share the gospel with them? It's going to be difficult for them to go out and share the gospel if they never see mom or dad sharing the gospel. Parents, you have an obligation to model this for your family. And non-Christian, if you're in the room and you're seeking, you're curious, you're wondering what this is all about, don't be surprised if someone in this room invites you out to coffee. Don't be surprised if they ask you to get breakfast or lunch sometime. Maybe you've been hurt by the church or maybe you don't have any desire if you have been hurt by the church, first off, I'm sorry. It, it, you hear about it too often. But I will say this, that we're not exempt from that here. If you hang around long enough, you will get hurt. And the reason for that is because we too are a church filled with sinners. And we value deep relationships. You can see we want to be relationally deep. When you're relationally deep, you open yourself up to opportunities to get hurt. And that will happen when you do life with sinners. However, I think it's better than the alternative. 
having relationships that are two inch deep your whole life and never being able to enjoy the richness of a godly relationship. So hopefully, as others try to invite you out to coffee or talk with you about the gospel, if we ever do hurt you, hopefully we're a people that are quick to ask for forgiveness and quick to strive for reconciliation. So church, be aware of of non-believers. Look for opportunities to bring them to Jesus. Children, bring others to Jesus. Be aware of the non-believers that are around you. Share the gospel with them. God, man, Christ's response. Be hospitable. It's one of of the reasons, simple reasons, why we just try to put food in the back. Try to be hospitable. God's been hospitable to us. He has brought us in when we don't deserve it. So a simple way for us is to simply try to, if you're hungry, grab some food. It's just an easy way for us to say, hey, we care about you. We're grateful that you are here. And then in that process, be patient. Trust the Lord. We're called to scatter seeds. We're not going to see fruit instantaneously. Maybe we will, but I wouldn't put before you that that would be the norm. Usually it's a long, slow grind of sharing the gospel, praying, sharing the gospel, praying, sharing the gospel, praying. Trust the Lord. So not only do children bring others, but they also depend on others. So children recognize their entire dependence, their complete dependence on others for things like food, shelter, clothing, care when they get sick, diaper changes, as I found out at 544 in the morning, wake up to a knock at our bedroom door, which is slightly terrifying because thinking who in the world is knocking on our bedroom door. And we check the monitor and Danielle can't tell if Finley is in bed or not. And so I get up thinking, okay, it's either Finley or I'm about to get axed. And so I open the door and Finley is standing there holding up a diaper saying, dad, I need a new diaper. So, okay. She already took her other diaper off, threw it in the trash, and she's waiting for me to put on this one. So she knocked on the door, held up the diaper, took her into her room, put the diaper on, went back to bed. So children are entirely dependent on others for everything. They don't earn a livelihood. It'd be really nice if they did. It'd be great if we get reimbursed for the things that they're taking out of our pantry and out of our fridge. That is not the case. They don't earn a parent's love. When Finley was born, we have two, two daughters, Finley and Lennon. But when she was born, I realized, shoot, I'm a pretty nice guy. But man, as I hold this baby, like it's in me to kill somebody. Like, it, could, it could happen. If somebody tried to hurt this baby, I love this child so much, so much. She didn't do anything to earn that. She didn't give me a bunch of words of affirmation and tell me how great of a father I was in these nine months as I waited for her to, to show up. Like, no, she didn't do any of that. She simply has it because she is my child. And she depends on the love of Danielle and I, literally to live. So children recognize their dependence on others. Children are dependent on others to bring them to Jesus. Look at verse 13 again. And they, the crowd, who we also identified as children of God, were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. So before we get to that rebuked portion, we see 
these children being entirely dependent on someone else bringing them to Jesus. If you, this morning, are in Christ, then you have someone else to thank for that. Romans 10 says this, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How beautiful are the feet of those who shared the gospel with you and brought you to Jesus. You are entirely dependent on somebody else bringing that gospel message to you. So children not only bring others, but they are also dependent on others. Now, as the crowd brings these children who are entirely dependent, we see the disciples, the followers of Jesus, trying to turn them away. Now, before we get too upset with the disciples, let's try to recognize what it was that they were doing because Jesus, at this point, is a very popular guy. When he teaches, there are big crowds, and so there's got to be a little bit of crowd control. And they recognize that this is an important guy. Disciples are probably trying to spare his time. He's busy. And so when they see parents bringing their kids just to be touched by Jesus, they probably think, you know what, he's, he's too busy for this. No, go away. And Jesus responds, we see in the text, that he was indignant. Now that original term indignant means incensed, offended, or irate. He was incensed, he was offended that they would turn them away, and he was irate that they would turn these entirely dependent children away from him. So the disciples trying to be helpful actually set Jesus off. Now, why is that important? Because you, this morning, may feel like you have nothing to bring to the foot of the cross. You have nothing to bring to Jesus. You may feel like you have to clean some things up before you come to Jesus. And there may even be other Christians who have made you believe these things. Do not let disciples, do not let other followers of Jesus who are trying to do good keep you from going to the cross. You are welcome. You who have nothing, Jesus desires you to come. And he's indignant when you are kept away. So children are entirely dependent on someone else, someone outside of themselves for life. Finley and Lennon, our little girls, entirely dependent on us giving them food, providing for them, keeping a roof over their head. In the same way we as followers of Jesus, recognize that we are entirely dependent on him for our spiritual life. It's not through the things that we bring to the table. And so if you're in the room this morning, are you entirely depending on Christ? Is Christ what you are clinging to? If you're not a Christian, the question for you this morning would be, what are you depending on? Is it your resume? Is it the things that you've done? Is it maybe your church attendance? Maybe you're a hard worker? What are you depending on? When you stand before God and he asks, so to speak, not saying that he's actually going to ask this, but if he were to ask, why should I let you in? What would your response be? If it is anything outside of the finished work of Christ, then you are depending on the wrong thing. 
the church, as we see in the second point, that children depend on others? Do we, as those who are trying to be relationally deep, do we depend on one another? Are we willing to be open? Are we willing to share with our brothers and sisters that I am wrestling with this thing? Whether it's going through a valley, whether it's fighting against the sin, are we willing to depend on one another, to seek the help of others? In order to be relationally deep as we strive to be, we must depend on one another. So children bring others. Children depend on others. And our third point that you'll see is that children receive from others. So what's the difference between depending and receiving, right? We are seeing here that they're not just dependent, but they're also receptive. So to know you're dependent, that, that's a little bit of a mental ascent. You're recognizing, okay, I am dependent. I, I know I need this chair to hold me up when I go to sit down. But then to be receptive is to actually take the action step. So if you are dependent, you recognize that you're dependent on the chair to hold you right now. You haven't actually received trust into that chair until you take a seat. And so we not only recognize our dependence, but we have an inherent trust that comes along with receiving what we affirm we are dependent on. It requires humility. So it's easy this morning to say, I, I can handle this on my own. I can do this thing on my own. I don't, I don't need fill in the blank. But in order to receive from others, there needs to be a trust and there needs to be a humility. Without which, the text says, we will not enter the kingdom. Look at me in verse 15. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So to receive the kingdom of God is to know your dependence on God to provide. However, it's not just knowing. It's also receiving what he has provided, namely Christ. Not just knowing that you need an outside righteousness, not just knowing that you're separated from God apart from a perfect holiness provided by someone other than yourself, but receiving what he has provided. So children are not only dependent, but they're also receptive. They receive from others. God's mercies are new every morning. And that is difficult sometimes for us to receive, for us to remind ourselves that yesterday wasn't a good day. Yesterday, I, I failed here, here, and here. I feel like I'm, I'm not hitting the mark as a follower of Jesus. Are you receiving Christ's mercies? They are new every morning, as Lamentations 3 tells us. Remind yourself of the gospel. And men, talk to you right now, as those who are designed to protect, to provide, to lead, as leaders and providers, sometimes it can be difficult to freely receive. I feel like we need to earn it. I feel like we need to work for it. I would encourage you to swallow your pride because if you're not able to do that, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The gospel is good news because you don't have to work for it. We're workers. Receive the gospel. Swallow your pride. Women as cultivators and as nurturers, it can be difficult 
to trust that what Christ has provided on day one is enough. You take what's there and you turn it into something beautiful. You cultivate, unlike anyone else is able to do. It's difficult, it could be difficult, to take what's there on day one, the gospel, and trust that that is sufficient for all eternity. I would encourage you to rest. Rest in the finished work of Christ. The non-Christian would encourage you to, as you've heard the gospel in various ways this morning, to move from knowledge to action. There's a difference between knowing that you need to eat something and actually eating. Knowing that you need that sustenance and actually receiving it. So spiritually speaking, I would encourage you to take a step to embrace Christ. And so this passage is uh, nicely summarized by the Pillar New Testament commentary. So I will read that portion here. It says, In this story, children are not blessed for their virtues, but for what they lack. They come only as they are, small, powerless, without sophistication, as the overlooked and dispossessed of society. To receive the kingdom of God as a child is to receive it as one who has no credits, no clout, no claims. A little child has absolutely nothing to bring. And whatever a child receives, he or she receives by grace on the basis of sheer neediness rather than by any merit inherent in them. Little children are paradigmatic disciples, for only empty hands can be filled. Only empty hands can be filled. So this morning, if you want your hands filled by God, you must receive the kingdom the way a child does, by being entirely dependent on others, by receiving what God has provided. Is there something this morning, if you were to think of yourself, is there something this morning that prevents you from being considered like a child? If so, what is that thing? If Christ were to describe you to the, to the congregation this morning, would he say they are like a child? He is like a child. She is like a child. Or is there something that would prevent you from being described that way? And if so, whatever that thing is, would encourage you to confess it to the Lord. Children, the children brought others, they depended on others, and they received from others. Does this describe you? And so as we wrap up, I would encourage you to consider Christ. Consider Christ, who in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he was taken in, right before his crucifixion, he knelt down and he bled drops of blood. He sweated drops of blood as he was asking the Father to take this cup from him. He said, if there's any other way. But with childlike faith, he said, not my will, but yours be done. He brought his concerns. As children bring, he brought his concerns to the Father. He depended on the Holy Spirit to empower him and to enable him to get through it. And then he received, after his resurrection, the name that is above every name. He brought his concerns. He depended on the Holy Spirit and he received the name that is above every name. Look with me in verse 16, the last verse of this passage. It says, and he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. 
See, if you look at verse 13, you can see that the crowd brought children so that he would just touch them. We see as the passage closes that he took them in his arms. He embraced them. He blessed them. He laid his hands on them. I'd like to say to you this morning, if you bring your sin to God, if you depend on Christ's sacrifice for the payment of those sins that you are bringing to him, then you too will receive the gifts that are given to Christ as the faithful child. He was faithful. Christ will receive you. He will embrace you as you bring these things to him. And you will be considered a child of the Most High King. And you will be considered a member of the kingdom that you are receiving. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this grace. Help us to bring our sin to you. Help us to bring others to you. We pray that if there's anything keeping us from depending on you, that you would reveal that to us. That you would show us what that thing is and so we can be quick to repent. Help us to confess our sin. Help us to to try to turn from it. Continue to fight against it. Help us to live lifestyles of repentance and to depend on your sacrifice for justification. Help us depend on your righteousness for a right standing with you. Help us to receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. Show us what it is to bring, to depend, and to receive. Help us to be like the children that we see in this passage. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.